it's a boom bust kind of sector. It's very pro cyclical. It moves with the economy. You know, it's the physical manifestation of the economy. You know, and so as the economy goes, so does commercial real estate. But where I would push back is that you know we have a lot of good credit conditions that we did not have before other downturns. This last week has been dominated with deeply unsettling news. The FDIC found a buyer for the former Signature Bank, but the buyer did not take its real estate loans. The Federal Reserve, much to the disappointment of so many, raised rates once again. JP Morgan and Blackstone are all warning of distress in commercial real estate, and major real estate players are using language like a day of reckoning. My name is Miriam Hall, and my guest on this episode of BizNow Reports is Kevin Fagan, the head of CRE Economic Analysis at Moody's Analytics. He has a more temperate outlook of the current moment. For starters, he says the real estate lending reliance on regional banks is far less than what many have described, which lowers the risk of contagion. There is pain in the market for sure, but he says it's worth remembering that credit conditions are far better than they've been in previous downturns. I asked him first if the banking crisis has impacted Moody's projections for commercial real estate. Right now, I don't think that it's directly flowing into anything. I think we knew that we were going to be in for some pain this year. The pressure from the interest rates was the primary driver of that. And, you know, it's been um, suppressing values. It's uh, increased refinance risk. Um, and that still holds. The banking crisis that we've seen so far seems to be pretty limited to the regional banks. And if that's the case, regional banks, although there's been some conflicting data reported widely lately, uh, regional banks are actually a relatively small portion of lending for commercial real estate. So, you know, when we start to see some of the maturities start to flow through this year and next, even if you were to say you lost the whole entire sector of regional banks, there's a, a wide diversification of other types of lenders for CRE. So while it would it would have some impact, and meaning like the loans that were a little more cuspy or already in trouble have just one less out if they have to find a refinance option. So let's let's dig into that. My understanding and my next question was going to be that the regional banks are a big lender for commercial real estate, and the number that I have is about eighty percent of U.S. commercial real estate loans lending is done at banks with assets of less than $250 billion. Is that not correct? That is not correct. Where, why, why are we reporting that? Why is that out there? Um, so we've been digging into that, um, you know, myself and some other people in the industry, um, trying to understand where that number came from. <laughs> um, and as far as we can tell, there's just been a miscategorization or misunderstanding of what constitutes real estate, commercial real estate lending. You know, if you look at some of the data sources like the Fed flow of funds, there's a lot of different categories of real estate lending in there. So it seems like the only way we can get to that kind of number, it's very hard to do, actually. Um, you have to basically add in a whole bunch of things that are are actually pretty typical for regional banks. So construction, for instance, we don't typically think of construction as the CRE lending world. You know, we're, the CRE lending world is really the stabilized assets that are out there. You know, and if there's less construction, actually, that's better for the, the, the commercial real estate industry because there's less new supply. That generally means better values, less new, com new competition on rents. Um, so construction is never really a part of that. Uh, so that's one thing that was added, it seems. Um, and then it seems like there was also some inclusion of CNI loans um, on, you know, owner-occupied properties and um, 
also uh, uh, some some element of residential. So it just looks like there was a miscategorization into that bucket. The reality is, is that banks overall in CRE lending are about 38% of the lending pie. Uh, of, uh, there's about 4.5 trillion of uh, CRE debt in the United States. Um, about 1.7 of that, or th again, 38, I think 38.6% to be precise is, is banks. And somewhere between two thirds or more of that are large banks uh, or national banks. And you, and it, there's, we're working on uh, clarifying that a little bit more, but so in other words, if you just do that math, a third of 38.6%, you're looking at about 12% of the market would be regional or smaller regional banks. It might actually be much less than that, depending on how you characterize it. That's very different to um, yeah. what Goldman Sachs economists wrote in a recent report. Uh, yeah. yeah. To, to point the finger, but that's where the figures come from. No, I'm I'm, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I've I've actually seen it reported. Uh, that's been echoed throughout the market. Actually, um, we've seen 65 percent, 67 percent, 80 percent. None of those are even close to what it actually is. 12 percent. Is that right? 12 percent. I would say 12 percent is probably the max. Uh, it, it might actually be much less than that. Um, you know, when you when you're talking, depending on how you categorize regional versus large or national, you know, so depending on how you pick it up, I would say 12% is about the max. Because I was going to ask you, there's a lot of talk about contagion, fear of the, the spread uh, of these bank runs. It doesn't sound like it would be catastrophic. It would be not a good thing, obviously, but it doesn't sound like it would be catastrophic to commercial real estate based on the figures that you're telling me if more runs happened. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, it, it, if you're, if you're just talking about the 12% number, uh, let's just say for discussion purposes that that's correct right now. It, also, you're not gonna have all, all, all of that 12%, all of those banks fail. You know, so it is, it is a pretty, assuming that it, is, it stays contained uh, and that it, like, you know, with SVB and um, uh, Signature, you know, there were unique situations that was on the balance sheet of those banks. Um, and so obviously those banks failing does not good and it causes downstream problems. But if those unique, if those unique characteristics are, do represent some kind of containment here and you don't really see those in the larger banks, then yes. I mean, I think that, you know, it's not great because again, it's one less lender, uh, for, for CRE borrowers, but it is a relatively small portion of the pie. From what you're saying, the the issue of interest rates remains the biggest problem or the biggest issue in commercial real estate right now and has been for several months and, and continues to be, even in the light of the occurrences of the last two weeks. Yeah, that's the biggest pressure, really. I mean, you know, you, you're talking about issuance that's happened, um, you know, that's, so the stuff that's coming, that's maturing in the next couple of years, it, it's a mixed bag, but most of them are kind of you know, the 10 year loans. So you're talking about things that are originated in 2013, 14. In some cases, they are shorter term loans, especially the floating rate ones, um, you know, that were issued a few years ago. Um, but my point is, is that their interest rates were obviously much lower at the time of issuance. Um, so when you go to refi, you need to have seen some rent growth or value growth to be able to get a takeout loan that's the same size as your existing loan. Um, particularly at the higher risk interest rates, right? So, um, yeah, that, that remains the pain point. But the thing is, is that real estate has benefited from inflation, you know, and so of the vast majority of the sector will be able to refi, you know, assuming that the liquidity is there. 
And the other thing that I would add is that after the financial crisis in 2008, the lending market took a more conservative stance in their underwriting standards than prior to 2008. So for example, in CMBS, the average LTV on um, a loan would be about 72%-ish. Um, when, and then post-financial crisis, the average was just over 60. You know, so basically about 10 points less of leverage going forward and a lot of coverage because those low interest rates allowed a, a very high amount of de uh, debt service coverage ratio. So um, granted, you would have more debt service in a refi now because of the higher interest rates, but that that's a pretty significant drop in leverage. Um, you know, so even if you did have the a 2008 level of contagion, you do have a level of protection um, you know, in, in uh, more conservative under, generally more conservative underwriting standards at the lending level. So the Fed just hiked rates again this week and Fed Chair Jerome Powell said they are likely to raise rates further this year and keep them high. We do hear a lot of people in real estate predicting that rates are going to come down before 2024, and that's been going on for a while, that prediction. What, where do you think this all lands? Um, our, our, our house you know, view forecast is that um, you know, they would stabilize, <laughs> maybe not come down. And we do have a little bit of a, a bump coming down in 2024, 2025. Um, but really, we have them stabilizing somewhere around 4%. And I'm talking about the 10-year benchmark. Um, you know, and so that's our house view basically right now. Um, that changes whenever you look at different scenarios. Um, so if we do if, like, in other words, if you look at the recession scenario, we do have rates coming down. I mean, that's the point, you know, that's one of the levers the fed has is to be able to, to lower those. So our recession risk is high. Um, we have our recession percentage at 55% right now, um, which is quite high. 67% kind of effectively means that you're baking in a recession into your forecast at your baseline. So 55, I think we're down off of 65 as of a couple months ago. Um, so we don't have a, we, our baseline does not expect a recession this year, although that, that risk is still relatively high. And in that, in that case, we, our, our, our forecast scenarios do have interest rates coming back in. I was at a panel discussion this week and, and, and someone said the Fed's been trying to break something and they did. Is that true? Have they broken what they wanted to break? Um, <laughs> I, 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 that is a, a statement that has been going around by almost everyone, and it's a good statement, I think. Um, you know, it, certainly, you know, that breaking really had to do with inflation. And so while, I, you know, the, so that 25 basis points yesterday made a lot of sense from the messaging standpoint that Powell could give, because, you know, they can show that they remain uh, both they can show a couple things. One is that they remain committed to, you know, their their two-ish percent um, target inflation rate, which you know the trajectory it's at six percent right now, but the trajectory is definitively going down by a lot of different measures. Um, but as Powell says, it takes the, the the last part of it is always the hardest. So you know they do need to show that they're still committed to it, um, and also showing that they believe that there and they that this was part of the statement is that they believe that there is containment uh, of the banking issues right now and therefore they can continue on their path of um of tightening so i think that was the message that was try trying to be sent you know 
there's been a lot of conjecture in the last sort of week or so and on this very podcast as to whether or not this banking crisis is what was, would push us into a recession. Doesn't sound like Moody's Analytics is predicting a recession any more than it was. Um, in fact, it's predicting it less. Well, it's less as, uh, less as of a couple months ago, which stems from a number of different risks. Uh, but I would say that getting inflation under control and that that was a very important part of it without having to, you know, go to kind of 1980 style levels of, um, of you know, interest rates. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of a very positive thing to see that trajectory going where it is. And then you also saw that reflected in um lower rate hikes you know so we got that we started seeing the 25 basis points instead of 75 right um and so that's probably the driver of that i would say that that's probably the main driver of that um so in other words it seems like we are having some kind of landing i don't i hate to say soft landing i'm not a big fan of that phrase um a landing is a landing uh you know and then and there's a lot of sectors that are going through some pain but yeah i think the direction that we're headed is is still high risk of, of, of recession and, and there's a lot of bogeys out there um you know i would say that things that we've added recently is you know risk that we're looking at for is you know it's it's kind of interesting like a housing price crash uh you know extreme weather events was added recently um oil price spiking uh and the geopolitical conflicts that are going on right now like adding to supply chain issues uh, it's one of the things the Fed doesn't have a lot of control over is the supply side, you know. Uh, but, you know, so that's why our, we still have a high recession risk, but there's an acknowledgement that we're on the trajectory that the Fed intended. Let's talk a little bit about loans again. I've read and I've heard in, um, I've read and I've heard that the recent large defaults of Brookfield and PIMCO on office loans have given cover to other owners to stop paying their mortgages and hand back buildings to lenders. What do you think the impact would be if more and more lenders found themselves with these buildings on their books? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it would be you can really go to look at the past and, and, and see like that, that just, you know, we look, we expect default rates to go up this year. Um, and it's not just because of offices and, and, and we don't foresee there being, you know, a complete destruction of that asset class There's just going to be some repricing and a um, retooling of how the asset class is used at a, um, you know, by, by uh, owners and tenants. But like in any slowdown, you know, you're going to see, especially when you have defaults coming up in a higher interest rate environment, we are going to see increased defaults and we're going to see anecdotal stories. So we've been following every maturity uh, that comes through, particularly in CMBS, because the data has a lot more visibility in public markets. Um, and for every maturity, we, most of them are actually refinancing, you know, the vast majority are, but we do see some big examples uh, of some loans that aren't making it. And the reasons uh, are, are, are uh, um, varied, you know, of why these loans are, are not, some of them, you know, had a tenant that um, uh, left. And so now they're in delinquency uh, at a maturity, but then they have an LOI for a new tenant to backfill that. There's a lot of stories that are like that, that are a little more positive on that sector. Um, but, you know, there's others that are just in markets that don't have, you know, the demand just really hasn't come back yet. So I think, you know, you, you're probably referring to like one of them in LA. There's a very big one in LA. Uh, there's a couple in Chicago. Uh, there's one a huge one in Pennsylvania. And basically, you know, you're looking at 
again, a repricing of that asset class. And um, part of that is going to have to come through loan defaults where the bank has to take that back and sell that into the market. And you'll start to see the average prices for offices come down. Um, and I would say that most banks that we talk to that are our clients feel that the office sector isn't a story of obsolescence. Um, that being said, I don't think they're going to be happy about having to have the, them on their books and sell them, but they do feel like they're going to have to be sold at a discount. So most of them feel like it's a, not an obsolescence story, but a repricing story. And so, you know, they're lenders, so they're, you know, not looking forward to that uncertainty. And you've seen pullback on lending on offices um, just to kind of wait and see where that repricing is and not be on the short end of it. We've heard a theory this week that more banks might try and look to CMBS to try and securitize the loans on their books and reduce their exposure. What do you think is going to happen to CMBS markets this year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, CM, CMBS has been, um, of all the lender types, has, has, has suffered from the lowest or the, the greatest, rather, rather the greatest decline in volumes. Um, there probably is an appetite for more lending um, in that space. I mean, I think of the year over year as of last quarter, CMBS was down something like 75, 78%. And there's capacity out there. So, you know, it just depends on how the loans are structured, really. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, the market's not going to be happy about taking assets on that are really cuspy or already in trouble, you know, without a pretty significant discount. I heard uh, Scott Reckler on TV the other day. Um, he owns obviously a lot of New York real estate, a lot of office real estate. And he says there's a day of reckoning following what he describes as free money for decades. Do you expect it as a day of reckoning? It sounds like you kind of do, but not really. Um, how would you describe it? I mean, uh, relatively bombastic person. Um, so, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that, but um, you know, if you look back through cycles of what's happened with the office sector or really any of the sectors, but, you know, focusing in on office, you get about a 30, I mean, in the financial crisis, it was a 30 to 40% price correction that happened in the, in, in you know, from between 2008 and 2012. Um, and same thing in 2001, it was really serious price correction, especially in some Silicon Valley markets, you know, um, and if you just go back and look at the rents and the occupancies and the prices that happen, you get if, if you look at what's happened so far through the COVID crisis, um, office was relatively unscathed. Um, not much happened. The delinquency rates didn't really go up. There's a lot of fear, um, but nothing happened really in the data. Um, so now we're starting to see some of that. You know, we have some you know pretty good sized loans coming through. And, and and actually, by the way, on the floating space, you know. Those, those borrowers are required to keep um, uh, interest rate cap uh, agreements in place. And so when they have to go get an extension every year, they have to buy a new cap agreement. Um, that, and those are sized such as that their, D, their DSCR has to be a minimum. So they might already be out of the money in that cap agreement. They're very expensive cap agreements. You can probably see a lot of stories around, uh, around that. So that is a that is very stressful for them. And so you could really start to see some of these big assets that were kind of known as being high quality class A assets come through. And that would be relatively unique. We might not see anything unusual in terms of price correction versus other cycles, but we might see some, you know, large assets that normally you would think of as kind of impervious 
uh, is starting to run into issues because they're you know, on these floating rate, uh, floating interest rate uh, loans that have high, uh, really large cap agreements. And they might have run into an idiosyncratic issue of, you know, a tenant blowing out and not, I mean, it's, a, it's not really, it's a more of a tenant's market than it is a landlord's market right now in office, as you can imagine. And so there can definitely be some issues where if you had a floating rate loan and you lose a tenant, you can have an asset that goes into default that you normally would not have expected. So it sounds like it might be a day of reckoning for some people. It's just whether or not it's for a lot of people. Case by case, day of reckoning, perhaps. Yeah, I think it's going to be more of a scalpel than a broadsword. You know, while we are talking about Office, Moody's Analytics predicted office vacancy would peak this year and then start declining next year and actually predicted effective rents would increase this year and accelerate their gains in the subsequent years. Would you adjust that given the news of the last couple of months or is that still your prediction? Yeah, the, the baseline, that's 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 right. I mean, in other words, um, uh, rents have actually been relatively stable and um, but you i mean obviously you can point to certain markets that have seen more declines than others i mean manhattan and san francisco have, have had the kind of uh the have borne the brunt of that um but then there's a lot of markets that have seen very healthy rent gains and so on average you know there's a big dispersion you know the, the sunbelt markets for instance have done quite well um uh, in the office sector um but you know, and then certain markets have not. But on average, you know, we still have rents going up. That's in the baseline scenario. One thing that we have adjusted is that, um, well, I guess there's two things that we have adjusted. In the baseline, we have actually toned it down a little bit so, because in, 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 every, in every, you know, researcher's forecast models, um, one of the strongest variables, input variables, is is employment. So not surprisingly, employment and office using employment is a really good predictor of performance in the office sector. Um, that relationship is, has decoupled uh, a bit in over the last few years where we've seen employment do quite well, but office is really kind of going sideways. So we've had to retool our baseline a little bit and actually get more pessimistic uh, in, in that, so that what you're seeing is actually a more pessimistic than what it would have been if we would have included employment as a driver like it normally is. Um, so we made that adjustment on baseline, and then in a downside scenario, what we the adjustment that we have made, it's like assuming that we have a recession, for example, um, is that we we believe that the the downsides are going to be a bit deeper for office because if you just you know logically think about it, a tenant. A tenant might not necessarily have the desire to slash a bunch of office space in normal business operations. You know, they got to have people, they got to have a place for people to come. It's very difficult to figure out, like, if you got people coming in all on the same couple, two or three anchor days, like, how do you shrink that space? Um, and really, it's not the main expense. Your main expense is your people, and you need to figure out how to make them happy first, and then you can shave some basis points off of your expenses by you know skinning up your real estate and so that's normal operations but in the downside scenario if you have a lease coming up or you were thinking about an expansion um you know that you know now that in a triage situation you can take a break from your office you can go form remote if you had to you can go way skinnier if you have to and that and now that savings can actually matter because you're in survival mode you know, and so we do think there there will be a good amount of tenants that are in that kind of category in a downturn. And so we have a deeper um, uh, dip on both rent and occupancy uh, in, a, in our downside scenarios of those forecasts you're talking about. 
Right, because I was speaking to with an office broker on Monday who said it just it doesn't really matter if what the weeds of it all is. General sense of uncertainty is not good for people making office deals. Right, <laughs> that's that's a fair point. Um, yeah, you can get into the weeds for sure, but um, again, I would say that it's a it's a tenants market, not a landlords market. You know, for sure, right now. Office has really got a lot of the spotlight of late um, in terms of the pain that might be felt in commercial real estate. But Signature's implosion really made everyone a bit more acutely aware, I would say, of the trouble that multifamily is facing, specifically rent-stabilised multifamily. No one has bought the commercial real estate loans of Signature, 11 billion of them, and they're being described, I read in, in one report in Bloomberg, as toxic waste loans. What's the next possible step here? Yeah, I mean, um, that's, uh, I, I think that's more of a, an example of um, what really just happens in a slowdown. Like, you know, if you if you look at if you look back in history and you see default rates increasing, you see, um, I mean, and multifamily is not impervious by any means. I mean, it's it had plenty of defaults during COVID. It had very many during the, the, the GFC. Um, and so that what you're describing right now is, you know, I think just one of the stories that you would see in that data when you go back and look at it, you know, and so uh, it's, you know, likely going to have to have some repricing. Um, you know, the fortunate thing is, is that there's probably a floor on the losses that those take because it's a high demand asset class. It's just similarly to what I was mentioning in office, you know, it needs a repricing. Um, yeah. Multifamily or rent stabilized multifamily specifically? Well, rent stabilized multifamily is in a worse position. It's kind of like, you know, when you look at the bell curve of different kinds of assets and, and you know, they're what you can hope for in terms of rent growth on those in the future, you know, um, you, now you're looking at the ones that don't have a lot of hope for rent growth going forward. And it's the same thing with some certain types of offices. You know, it's the same kind of thing as that they're on the wrong end of the bell curve. Um, and they're the ones that are probably going to go through and see a lot of pain. Um, and that's going to bring your average default rates up over the next year or two. Uh, but that's just one of the stories. I don't think that's the story at all for multifamily uh, overall. I mean, we still have a serious supply demand issue on the, on the space market side. Um, and on the capital market side, it's just it's the demand is, is incredible still. Like so, for example, in CMBS, we look at cap rates, average cap rates for multifamily properties that are secured in the CMBS. And surprisingly, in Q4, cap rates continued to go down. <laughs> uh, they went, I think, from roughly 4.8 something to 4.77. They still, and, and, and while interest rates are still going up, cap rates continued to go down. So I'm just saying the demand on the capital market side, as well as the space market side for multifamily, is very strong. But that definitely does not mean you're not going to have idiosyncratic stories like, you know, a portfolio of multifamily properties that have a lot of rent stabilization. Uh, maybe they were priced way too tightly, um, you know, and they're just going to have to see a repricing. Okay, because if you talk to the real estate community in some sectors, they're, they're very grim about the state of multifamily rent stabilized um, and, and what those landlords might be facing. Yeah. Because a lot of them finance their properties in before 2019 rent reform. Right. Yeah. I mean, yours, yours, uh, <laughs> I mean, you've got a different perspective, but right. uh, you're saying like it's kind of 
as you say, idiosyncratic. Well, it's a little more casual for me because I'm looking at it more from like a, a, a 30,000 foot view. And also I don't have skin in that game, <laughs> you know, but like when you talk to people that do or, you know, they're doing deals and or they own one of those assets, it's, it's just a different story. But for us, we're kind of seeing where averages are moving, what's pulling things one way or another. Um, you know, but I think it is, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a story within an overall story. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's probably not indicative of the whole sector. So if we could just zoom back to that, that loan issue, what, what might happen with those loans? Is it possible that no one wants them? I mean, somebody will want them at a certain price. <laughs> yeah. Uh, plenty of people assured me this week that, um, that it will find a buyer. It's just that, uh, New York Community Bank didn't want them because they've got a lot of real estate on their books. Oh, well, that's a good point, actually. So that's that that might be they might it might take them a little bit of time to sell that because um, unless they sell it into like a CMBS, uh, they could sell it to a conduit lender um, that would sell it into CMBS again at a discount. Um, you know, they're performing assets. It's just not performing enough. <laughs> um, and so it could go get sold in the CMBS. But the, the, the point you made is is true. Lenders are, are pausing right now. Uh, they need to make sure that they have cash on hand. They need to un, they need to think about what their underwriting standards are going to be going forward. Uh, so banks are taking a bit of a pause and, and, and we've heard some of them call it they're, they're on spring break anyway. So we might as well just wait and see. <laughs> um, that was weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, well, Maybe some of them are taking longer breaks. We know that there's a pause and a kind of a reflection and like, let's see what, let's let the dust settle here a little bit. Um, so I wouldn't expect, in other words, that portfolio to get sold to another bank very quickly right now. Um, is, it, is it bad though for the loans to be sitting out there? The, the media commentary is, oh, the longer these loans sit there, the worse it is. Is that true? Um, I mean, I can see an argument for that, but there's, there's a counter argument that you know, many loans have sat in default. I mean, if you think of CMBS, think of Stytown. I mean, it, it was in default for, I don't know, five years or something uh, before it finally got worked out and it paid off 100%. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know necessarily that the time, the time element makes it worse. It could make it worse if rates continue to go up. It could be worse if we go into a recession. Um, and actually, we do see higher loss severities on loans that take that have longer uh, times to resolve because and a lot of that has to do with just like the cost of uh, maintaining those loans there's legal fees you know so that can start to add on to your your loss severity um, so I, there's I'm not sure that it de facto means that it's worse the longer it is especially since we're like two weeks into this um, but um, yeah, I guess I would I guess I would favor just because of the cost of it, the potential uncertainty around it. It probably is the worst the longer, uh, you know, you wait, but not necessarily. So if you were someone who was listening to this, if you could summarize the major points of this conversation, what would you say are the big takeaways? For me, it's that regional banks are not as big a player in the commercial real estate estate space than we thought they were. That's definitely true. Is that journalist fault or is that a, a like a industry? Uh, industry I'm not sure. We, yeah, we haven't done an invest a good enough investigation to really understand where that number came from, but it is demonstrably false. Um, it's just really not at all representative. And I, I think what I would say as a takeaway for this is that you know there's a lot of headlines right now all over the place 
about commercial real estate being at, at, at major risk. And look, that may be true, just like it is in every down in every down cycle. You know, there's a it's a boom bust kind of sector. It's very pro cyclical. It moves with the economy. You know, it's the physical manifestation of the economy, you know, and so as the economy goes, so does commercial real estate. Um, but where I would push back is that, you know, we have a lot of good credit conditions that we did not have before other downturns. You know, lending got more conservative. Think of cap rates, by the way. You know, if you look at uh, the, the risk premium on cap rates, the spread over the Treasury, um, that's been a very healthy 250 basis points ish on average kind of across property types. Um, you know, and in, pa in the past, that, that, that cap rate spread, you know, in other words, that euphoria that makes that spread come in and people start paying more for assets, like nothing's ever going to happen that's bad. That didn't really happen this time. We kept a really healthy spread over Treasury. I mean, it helped that Treasuries went down to zero for a little bit. But even before that, we, you know, we really had uh, a nice, healthy cushion in there. And uh, that's coming in now as rates have gone up. But my point is, is that loans that have, are outstanding were securitized based on, or excuse me, they were originated based on values that had healthy cap rates in them, like a lot of cushion. And you had, like I said, about 10 points less of leverage. So there's a lot of, there's a, the pushback for me on the real estate sector is like, well, there's, let's say we had the exact same thing happen in 2008 happened now there was contagion all over the place all the all the levers of liquidity stopped being available um the, you know and we had roughly a like in cmbs we had about a 10 percent default rate um and it varied quite a bit we had a 10 percent default rate you know i would say that you can very much argue that it would be better this time around if we had the exact same contagion happen now because you just have better metrics at the loan level and at the pricing level um, and we've had real, you know, normal rent growth, good rent growth. I mean, 2021 was an outlier year because of the, you know, big inflation. But other than that, we've had good rent growth in the sector, nice and steady. And these are scarce assets. So I, I am not uh, incentivized to try to like hype up the CRE sector here, but I would say there's a lot of mitigating factors um, that, that, that I think are good counterpoints to the sector is doomed, which is a lot, a lot of headlines are saying right now. You're hosing down our headlines, but you're providing, I'm sure, a lot of comfort to our listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kevin Fagan, the head of CRE Economic Analysis at Moody's Analytics.